Hello and welcome to the official podcast of Palate Exposure, featuring Ilona Thompson, a podcast for those seeking the ultimate in wine, food, and travel. Each week, she interviews winemakers, chefs, celebrities, and a variety of guests that shape the way we enjoy life. Hello, this is Ilona Thompson with Palate Exposure. I'm here with David Blackmore, a global brand ambassador for Glenmorangie. I'm so happy to have him on my show. He's incredibly insightful um, and we're going to talk all kinds of things. Bourbon, we're going to talk all mm-hmm. kinds of things. Brand, cocktails. Oh. This is going to be a really exciting discussion. So let's start with you. Yeah. How in the world did you wind up in that realm? Ooh, ah, kind of a roundabout way with a couple of moments of real kind of focus in amongst mm-hmm. there. I am um, I graduated university in Scotland, didn't know what I wanted to do for several years, sort of bounced around various jobs in banks and all the rest of it. And then I got a job with a, uh, with a friend of mine uh, running a small corporate events management company and everything was going great, our little business, and then 9-11 happened and it kind of put pay to our business. Um, so I was in need of a job and I had just started to discover the delights of single malt scotch. Even though I was born in Scotland I, uh, and grew up in Scotland, I didn't really like scotch whiskey, if I'm honest. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I started getting a taste for it when I was maybe about 22, 21, 22. And um, so I'd become a member of the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society. And I decided once the, the company I was working for folded, that I would go down to see them and see if I could get some bar shifts just to pay the, pay the bills. And um, that led, one thing led to another, and before I knew it, I'd moved to London to run their venue down there. Um, and in that period of time, I met the Glenmorangie Master Distiller, Dr. Bill Lumsden, and I kind of, that was the moment where I realized I wanted to be in this, in this industry. So that's where the kind of focus came in. I spent a year either emailing him or calling him every week for a year saying I want a job as an ambassador for your company and in the end he kind of just caved in and said come on up there's a position available uh, interview Uh, and that was it Uh, I got the job and moved to the States in 2005 Um, it was going to be like a three-month thing thank you very much great state of Texas yes so initially it was New York and Ah. I was going to be there for three years and in that period of time, I met uh, my wife, and uh, now I'm here, basically full time. Uh, but I, my job is global ambassador, so I am traveling uh, internationally from uh, a U.S. base. I probably spend about 75% of my time in the states there, so uh, one time. So I know. <laughs> no, I'm so hardened by your persistence. I hear those stories a lot. When you want something, just get after it. Yeah, I, I, I guess I've kind of forgotten it a bit these days, if I'm honest. Yeah. <laughs> In my older older age, I, I feel like I could do with a bit of that again. Um, I have to remind myself that, yeah, it worked. It worked. When I really was persistent, I got what I wanted. So. That's awesome. Yeah. So Glenmorangie, obviously yes. a storied brand. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about it, just like a helicopter view. Sure, absolutely. Um, so officially, if you look at the, the label, it says founded in 1843. Mm-hmm. Um, in reality, we suspect that there was distilling happening at the site, the Glenmorangie farm, mm-hmm. uh, for maybe a hundred years before that, but just not legal. Mm-hmm. Um, so 1843 is the year that we got our distilling license to legitimately make single malt scotch whiskey. Um, William Matheson, uh, it was the guy who started the company. 
The Maitland brothers, though, have an important role. They bought the distillery in 1886 and in 1887 put in uh, the type of still that we have to this day, which is really uh, a design of still that was popular at the time um, for making gin. They're very wow. tall. They're the tallest stills in all of Scotland. And spare you a chemistry lesson but it means that our spirit is highly refluxed in the neck of the still and that means that we get this very elegant fragrant uh, new make spirit it really sets the style for Glamorangie and that almost mandates the type and quality of casks that we use to mature our whiskey um, so that leads through to the early 80s when we as a company pioneered the idea of finishing and that's using a secondary barrel usually a barrel that's contained some form of wine to add nuance and other f other kind of subtle flavor to our already great highland single malt wow yeah. so i have a mental image that's literally now etched into my brain which is an image of giraffe mm -hmm. yes to your early <laughs> point so there's a lovely master class that i had the pleasure of attending yesterday yeah. um, at napa valley film festival great event you guys should totally consider it because it's very diverse there's not just movies but yeah. whiskey education just Absolutely. like that yeah and that still that you said is the tallest yep in the market same height as a fully grown adult male <laughs> giraffe random fact yes <laughs> yeah so if you remember that alone now yeah. i will never look at your bottle the same again <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> i do get asked sometimes though like wait we didn't know that giraffes uh, were native to scotland they're like no 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 they're not <laughs> it's just it's an analogy to get, let you remember the key the key thing that really sets our our distillery uh, style apart I, guess. I think it's so clever so. and has anybody emulated it since then or are you still solo in that endeavor we are the tallest stills in Scotland yeah huh. um, which is a, obviously a precarious place to be I guess I never thought about it like that because someone yeah. could claim that yeah um, I don't know what the point would be but yeah, <laughs> but bragging rights <laughs> no but I, I'm also very mm. curious about the innovation that happened with respect to aging yes the product in, in um, mm -hmm. wine girls who, who conceptualized so, it how to come about um, it actually predates our current master distiller but he's regarded as kind of father of it because he ran with it he came to the company within about four years of us doing our initial um, experimentation and saw the value of it and really, really ran with it and developed it in, in, in a myriad of different ways. So Dr. Bill Lumsden, uh, our master distiller, is regarded as the most awarded master distiller in the whiskey industry anywhere. How exciting and, is that? Uh, he, he came across, he, he's done a lot of that research and underneath it all, we've also done a lot of research into American oak, which is what our, our whiskey and most other whiskeys in Scotland are initially aged in or fully aged in sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, so we only use our barrels twice at Glenmorangie. We try to source barrels um, from uh, slow growing white oak from the Ozark Mountains that is more porous microscopically. It's called tight-grained oak, but it's actually mm -hmm. more porous microscopically, which inc increases the in-drink of spirit into the barrel. Um, think of it like a sponge that's more absorbent, and that spirit that's then in the sponge can pull out more flavor out of the wood. So we're doing a lot of research into that as well. Beyond that, uh, we're now looking into other areas beyond just the wood where we can develop flavor. So. Um, toasting the barley like coffee beans and then using it so is it if you were a brewer you'd do that to make stout yeah well we've done it made stout and then distilled that and made a whiskey that tastes like espresso coffee you know there's fun stuff you so can do cool. <laughs> and lots more stuff that's that's on in the works that I can't tell you about yet <laughs> no but I love the experimental yeah. part because you're such a classic brand but you're also yeah. doing so many different things in other space 
and I'm curious to talk about the wood for a moment. So yeah. you said Ozark, obviously that's where mm -hmm. most of the American yeah. oak comes from. That's suitable for barrel yes. making. So you use new barrels, right? No, we are using barrels that have, well, we, we do use some new barrels, but the predominant barrel from America that we use has had uh, bourbon or Tennessee whiskey in it okay. for between four and six years. Um, it just takes some of the tannins out and gives us a barrel that's slightly seasoned. Um, had, you know, think about it. I, I, uh, uh, an American whiskey is regarded old if it gets to 10 years old, but a 10-year-old Scotch is regarded as young, which is kind of a weird idea. Uh, in general, Scotch whiskey ages for longer than American whiskey in a barrel. Yeah. So we don't want the full force of the American oak necessarily from day one with a virgin oak cask. We want to, to pull out a slightly more demure cask to take out a little oh. bit, uh, take, it out, take the flavor profile out slower over a longer time. It gives you more complexity. Complexity and maybe longevity, is that an argument yeah. that could be made? Yeah, because the other thing is that we get what's called oxidative maturation as the angel share yes. leaves the headspace of the barrel. We get this oxidative maturation that sweetens the, 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 uh, the spirits. Um, and if we have too much oak influence, that's going to swamp that. So you want mm. to just dial it back slightly. Um, we have done experiments with virgin American oak, um, made, uh, made whiskies that are delicious but almost taste like a bourbon, hmm. which, is, which is great, yeah. but kind of pointless as a Scotsman. Yes, <laughs> I hear that. Um, so in terms of French oak, you mentioned Limousin yeah. yesterday for some mm -hmm. of the products. Tell us about that. So um, we have a product called Glamorangie Nectar d'Or that okay. is 10 years aged in American ex-bourbon uh, American white oak barrels mm -hmm. and then the whiskey is physically transferred for two years finishing in barriques that were made of are made of uh, limousin oak French oak that have previously contained Sauternes dessert white wine mm. so we get the balance of the sweetness from the dessert wine we get an earthiness because it's the great white wine of the world it's uh, our yeah. dessert white wine it's Sauternes and we get a spiciness from the French oak and that spiciness brings the balance back otherwise it would just be a very flabby overly sweet uh, white wine uh, yes. white wine finish you know so you also had this really extraordinary offering yesterday i'm so ah. i feel so lucky to try it <laughs> um to have tried it um so gaia is involved yes. in that equation yes so this was a sneak a sneak peek behind the uh, warehouse doors i guess and not something that's planned at all to be released it may or may not i don't know um but it was a 23 year old uh, barrel sample of glenmorangie that had spent its last 15 years um, finishing in Gaia Barbaresco casks. Wow. Um, we probably will, if and when we ever release it, we won't be able to, for legal reasons, put Gaia on the label, mm -hmm. anything like that. So this was just a little sneak peek to try something very different. Again, I re really admire the experimental part mm -hmm. of your business because clearly you have the resources, but also the will to, yeah, to try absolutely. different things. It's uh, obviously I mean, it'd be nice and easy and simple business if we just filled American oak barrels every day and let them age for different ages and pumped them out as a 10 year old, a 15 and 18, blah, blah, blah. But we want to, we, you know, arguably that first finished whiskey that Glenmorangie came out with uh, anywhere in the world back in 1987 was part of the spark that reinvigorated the, the Scotch whiskey industry and is partly responsible at least for the boom in, in interest in whiskey around the world now. Mm -hmm. And it's because we offer more interest than just a, an A statement. We offer this whole complexity of flavor um, influenced by other outside things, casks, the barley, 
you, it suddenly elevates single malt scotch to the kind of level of fine wine. That's know. a great comparison because yeah. wine at its highest peak is really truly transcendent mm -hmm. of the sum of its parts. Yep. It's more than just fermented grape juice that's <laughs> been executed well by is. a winemaker. Yeah. It becomes a story unto itself and yeah. what you're describing is what you strive for, right? Uh -huh. Absolutely. In the whiskey we, we, category. We, we are trying to create, at the end of the day, all the innovation in the world is, is pointless if it doesn't taste good. But the innovation is there to, to drive new flavors. That's, that's it. So if, in the eyes of the consumer, if they were to identify your brand in a certain manner that makes sense to you, like if you were to crystallize, what yeah. is the differentiation between Glenmorangie and everything else? Uh, that's probably it. I mean, just uh, the idea, the driving force is flavor. It's, you know, is it delicious? Delicious. If it's not delicious, then, then it's not going to be released. And so we have done, it's real innovation, we have mistakes, but they, you, know, you, get, you don't get to see those. <laughs> you know? There's a famous um, character in Napa Valley, and I see character kind of in jest. He actually is um, really a master of his craft, Scott uh -huh. Biddy. He is a beverage director at Meadowood. Okay. He refers to it as directive of deliciousness. Uh -huh. And clearly you adhere to that. Yeah, actually. absolutely. Absolutely. Um, that's that's great to hear because again uh, you mentioned that this category is now being saturated because of the demand actually there's not mm -hmm. enough of it mm -hmm. um, but certainly a lot of players a lot of craft distillation so for you to that's been around since 1800 <laughs> yeah, for you exactly. to not just maintain the market share but really uh, maintain the appeal and promote something that people would really want to participate in that brings joy absolutely, and pleasure absolutely. and also cellar worthy. I always try and talk about these days because it, we've been doing it for quite a while now. I try, I try and bring home the idea in internal meetings all the time. We have a tradition of innovation. It's, it's, that's what it is. You know, innovation is thought of as something new all the time, but we have a tradition of that, and we have to we have to live up to that. Yeah, so it's uh, a bit of pressure, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, because hey, we did the first wood finish with the uh, '63 vintage, launched in '87. We came up with the world's first port wood finish, the world's first Madeira wood finish. We've done those. What do we do next? Yeah. Our master distiller is not very interested in, in repeating his former successes. He wants to be on to new things. And that is such a healthy <laughs> mentality, and also yeah. clearly so advantageous to the consumer because. Yeah. The harder you work, mm -hmm. the better we drink. Absolutely. Um, we've been playing around with uh, wild yeast strains. We came out with a whiskey beginning of this year, Glamorangi Alta. Well, um, 10 years odd ago, a bit longer ago now, we actually uh, took barley f from the fields where we grow a little bit of our own barley around Glamorangi House at, uh, in the Cadbull Estate. And we took the barley and we swabbed it and we isolated several yeast strains because yeast is everywhere. Yeah. And we cultured up a couple of those. And with the help of Lalamand, who are the kind of yeast experts, global yeast experts, they identified a final yeast strain that we went with. They cultured that up. And then we used it to ferment the very barley crop that we took it from. We did that quick enough that we could do that. Uh, and then we distilled that and we aged it in American oak and that was Alta. So wild yeast found in the actual barley that that's taking it to so a whole ridiculous level. level. I love it. This is and, nano level. <laughs> and you know, the, uh, the, the, uh, the flavor difference between that and the normal yeast was very marginal. But hey, it doesn't matter. We, we, we want to experiment. We wouldn't have known if we hadn't done it. Do you participate in the actual blending trials? 
I do um, from time to time. Mm -hmm. um, I'm part of the whiskey creation team when I'm when I'm back in Scotland. But yeah, my primary and secondary and tertiary role is really to be out there every day, facing the brand. But yeah. um, I have to say, the opportunity to get back in the in the lab is yeah. the best bit. <laughs> I can tell <laughs> you know? you're so animated right now. You look I so happy when you yeah. talk about the product itself. It's um, uh, it's an awesome process. Yeah. Um, and I've got a few, we, we do some think tanks and I've got a few ideas, a couple of ideas that are in the works, top secret ideas, that, mm. uh, one of which will be when it comes out, the first time probably in human history anything's been made in this way. That is so exciting. Probably the last time too, because it's very expensive to make. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what folks need to realize when yeah. the brand has the resources. Yeah. You know, people tend to say, oh, I want to support my micro distillery <coughs> that's in my neighborhood or whatever, it, yep. which is great. It is great. It's great. But the resource but pool is very absolutely. different. Um, we were family owned until 2004, and now we're part of the Moat Hennessy um, group. Yes. And what that's given us is huge amount of resources to do things. And not just that, when something goes doesn't work out, an experiment is a failure, which it's not really a failure because we learn something. Yeah. But we don't have to bottle it and sell it to you. Yes, you're not economically bound. Yes. And if you are a very small producer, you have faced with bottling it and selling it yeah. or going out of business. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's a really sad that choice. simple. Yes, uh, so we're we're fortunate in that respect, definitely. Um, no, I mean and all the little tidbits, even what I learned yesterday mm. in the seminar, it shows me the care, the intentionality. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's it's a hallmarks of the brand that cares a lot. We've got some developments currently ongoing uh, right now, which I can't tell you about exactly. Mm -hmm. I'll be able to tell you about um, uh, in the spring of next year, which will really show you how much we're doubling down on future innovations. I can't wait. Uh, we're spending a lot of money. Uh, on an ability to really innovate for the future. So. That's great <laughs> to hear. Um, are the markets different in Scotland and in Europe in general and the US? I don't spend a lot of my time out in the market in, in Europe at all. Mm -hmm. um, my, my focus is the States and Asia Pacific. Yeah. Uh, so Europe it's hard to, to say, but yeah, th there's been kind of historical brand loyalties. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's, a, there's one uh, brand of, of Speyside malt that for some reason has been massive in Italy for the last 30 years. <laughs> um, you know, there's, um, but there are broadly similarities, I guess, as well. Um, in terms of what consumers are looking for, and I think consumers are looking for to drink um, less and better. Ah, I think that's hopefully. encouraging. Um, yes. Or maybe it's just me willing them to do that. <laughs> that's that's um, a general mind trick. It works sometimes. Well, yes. <laughs> uh, demand for 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 consumers are looking for something that has a genuine character to it. For, yeah. For authenticity, um, I think the days of brash brash marketing are hopefully gone for a while at least mm -hmm. and that real stories genuine products um, sell well the market has been democratized mm -hmm. quite a bit which yeah. I think is healthy and the internet you know the rise of the internet and apps and and message boards and, and Facebook private groups mm -hmm. where people talk about things you know um, everybody everybody has the opportunity to be very very well informed about the products which is good, yes. and it, it holds us to a uh, to account. So you know, if we come up with something just in one market, I'll get a call the next day from somebody in 
Massachusetts or wherever saying, well, why can't we get it? Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's an evolving business, that's for sure, yeah, in terms of the market. Yeah. So, for a new consumer mm -hmm. that has curiosity, like just say baseline curiosity, yeah. do you have recommendations? Because it's such a huge, overwhelming world. First thing so I would many options. Yeah. First thing I would say is don't let anyone intimidate you uh, with the world of single malt. There's this perception that it's intimidating and snobby. Um, you know, I, I quite aggressively stand against that. Um, get out there, order a glass of Scotch whiskey, and make up your own decision where you like it. Trust your own palate. Um, take take advice, but don't 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 take instruction. You know what I mean? Uh, don't, yes. Don't, don't, yes. Uh, no, I know exactly what you uh, mean. Don't <laughs> let people talk at you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I can. I will hopefully always say this is what I like and this is how I drink it but this is me and if you don't want to and you found your way that's absolutely great um, there's so much resource out there online so you can in your own time go on a host of good websites connect with other uh, whiskey geeks some of them will be you know just like anywhere else on the internet you'll get bad actors out there mm -hmm. but um, you should be able to form an opinion uh, and, and a form a love uh, for the category just without spending too much money buying a dram here or there in a good bar uh, and once you find out what you like then you can stump for a bottle when you know you're gonna like it you don't need to buy a bottle blind and be terrified that you might hate it you should be able to find a good bar anywhere near you that will have at least the, a, a reasonable set of single malts these days um, what else? Yeah, I mean, that's um, there are so many good books if you want to be more traditional to it. Yeah. There's so many good whiskey books out there, yeah. uh, particularly these days, um, more being published all the time. Um, I, I, I need to stop buying whiskey books, maybe, because I run out of space. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, and just just enjoy it. Yes. It shouldn't be. It should be fun. Yes, that's all. That's Indeed. All. Speaking of bars, great yes. segue into the cocktail world, uh -huh. the great gateway yes. to spirits. Yeah. Um, Again, a broad subject. We're gonna mm. we're gonna go after whiskey application and cocktails. Yeah, I mean, we I know we we chatted about this before, uh, uh, and uh, uh, I I know that a lot of people perceive Scotch as something that's very hard to make a cocktail with. I tend to disagree with that. I, I think it maybe just shows a lack of familiarity with with Scotch. If you think Ooh, that, I can hear um, bartender screaming somewhere right now. <laughs> uh, I, I guess I mean again, it's it's not meant in a negative way. It's just no, um, no, I understand. Well, well, I guess maybe it's maybe because I'm so familiar with Scotch, I'm okay with it because I I, I I'm kind of um, biased to want my cocktails to taste a bit of Scotch. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I get I guess I'm not I'm definitely not an unbiased uh, opinion on that. Um, I think it's perfectly okay to put single malt in a Scotch because, like I said, once it's in your glass, it's yeah. yours. Um, there's no reason not to. Sometimes, obviously, single malt scotch can be cost prohibitive if you're yeah. running a bar. Um, yeah. Poor cost is is a big issue. Um, but why not enjoy it if that's if that's what you like? Um, I sometimes wonder whether the idea that of it being a gateway in terms of somebody trying a scotch whiskey cocktail mm -hmm. and then finally falling in love with scotch and drinking it neat. Uh, I'm of two two minds. I'm not sure how that translates. I don't know where the jump from drinking it in a cocktail to drinking it neat happens. Mm. I, I haven't seen that happen very often. 
That's interesting. So the classic cocktails would be Negroni at Old Fashioned, right? I guess so, yeah. A um, few others. Um, I think I'm not, you know, I'm not a massive cocktail expert, as you can tell. <laughs> but uh, no, but um, what else? Year-round um, a lot. And then there's kind of weird other options, like uh, I, as, a, as we're going to try later today, uh, an Ard Big Bloody Mary is. See, that is not something I would associate with whiskey ever. Yeah. Um, but if you think about the flavor profile for Ardbeg 10, it's kind of this smoky bacon note. So what's better than That's true. smoky bacon, tomatoes, Sounds and very alcohol rich. for breakfast? And savory. <laughs> yeah, well, if, you, if you're approaching from that point of view, God, yes. Um, <laughs> I think it can work really well. It's, it's, um, it's kind of broken the Bloody Mary for me, though, because you know, if I'm on a flight somewhere and I want a Bloody Mary, I'm not going to find Ardbeg on a plane, no. unfortunately. So no. um, I always have to make do yes <laughs> um, I think you know cocktails have certainly um, helped rejuvenate the category of scotch whiskey a bit and single malt yeah. scotch whiskey um, yeah. by broadening showing people that it can be a bit broader we're probably the victim of our own success because for so long we market as an industry we marketed scotch as kind of the elite mm -hmm. the elite you know the elite spirit um, whereas it, it doesn't need to be that it can be I love the fact that the, the seminar yesterday that we did here um, was probably easily 50% female attendees. Mm -hmm. Indeed. Um, thank God, at last. Yes. <laughs> you know, uh, I, I'm so glad that women are, have started to realize that the lie that men told them that the scotch was just for them is it was a lie. <laughs> yes, that, absolutely. And also the younger generation, absolutely. you want to engage them because totally. it is perceived a bit of an older yeah. person's drink. Well, part of that I think is 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 because single malt scotch um, costs a little bit more mm -hmm. and therefore on average you probably need to be a little bit older to have the buying power. Yeah. Um, maybe not in the in the Bay Area, <laughs> no. yeah. um, plenty of plenty of younger people with plenty of money. Um, so I think that was probably the only reason that there's any truth in that anymore. But uh, yeah, uh, you know, um, I got into Scotch at a relatively late age for a mm -hmm. Scotsman, but 23, still pretty young. Yeah. Um, and I've never understood the oh, it's just for for old white rich guys thing. Yeah. I've never got it. Yeah. Um, although I'm rapidly becoming an old white, <laughs> not so rich guy. Wise. <laughs> Wise. Um, becoming the stereotype, unfortunately. Um, I've, I never understood it. I, I, I just kind of, I don't know, I we're blinkered to it. I just, well, I like this, so I'm going to drink it. So whiskey, we talked about it earlier, has properties much like wine mm -hmm. that are, has this element of timelessness to it that was very yeah. interesting. I find that drinking uh, some single malts can literally give me flashbacks like visual flashbacks to to memories from childhood that I've completely forgotten sometimes it's, it's wild um, just just certain aromatics in the whiskey will just take me straight back to somewhere and then there's the other part of it that you know even a young single malt is 10 years old let's say perceived yeah. as young is 10 years old some of the, like the whiskey we tasted yesterday was 23 years old you think about that 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 spirit sat in total darkness and complete silence in an oak barrel for 23 years that's just how much the world's changed in those 23 years well everything in your life everyone's lives what happened in those last 23 years and the whiskey just sat there slowly slowly maturing until the moment you drank it 
just that, that blows my mind. It's such a formidable <laughs> thought. Yeah. And I think you know. much like wine, it shows differently mm -hmm. every time you taste it and who you taste it with. M uh, places, uh, place and, and mood is really important in terms of how whiskey tastes. I get asked all the time, what's your favorite? And I can I, I can answer that on at that particular moment in time, but I won't give you the same answer an hour later, probably. Yeah, it's it's very much alive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, f I find, for example, Ardbeg um, sitting outside on a cold day, pre preferably a windy, slightly windy cold day, oh, that's interesting. like yesterday maybe. Um, perfect. That's when I think Ardbeg tastes best. Just, just, just amazing. And you mentioned Ardbeg, so we have to talk yeah. about it now. What is that? So Ardbeg <laughs> is our uh, the Glenmorangie Company's other distillery uh, that we rescued in '97 from basically demolition. Mm. It had been closed through most of the '80s and mothballed through most of the '90s, and it was put up for sale. And uh, with the prospect that if it didn't get bought, it was going to be flattened, uh, Glenmorangie Company came in and rescued Ardbeg. It's about as far away physically from Glenmorangie as you could get and still be in Scotland. It's off the southwest coast of Scotland on an island called Isla. And in terms of flavour profile, uh, Glenmorangie and Ardbeg are the bookends of the flavour sp spectrum of Scotch yeah. whisky. Yeah. If Glenmorangie is all about elegant fragrance and complexity and wine finishing, Ardbeg is about peat and smoke uh. and earthiness and in your face and you know if you don't like it okay i like it <laughs> no offense sounds very assertive <laughs> oh yeah very assertive um but it, it, it and it, it's nobody quite likes our bag it's a very a very extreme response to the first glass of our bag huh. people are either falling in love with it to the point where i know dozens of people who have the art bag logo tattooed on their body somewhere what uh so there's that extreme or the other extreme people will literally spit it out and I'm okay with that I'm absolutely okay with that uh, we are who we are and uh, what I find though is that most people over time fall in love with it very few people given time don't end up falling in love with Ardbeg and some people just day one become Ardbeg freaks peat freaks overnight so, hmm. um, it's wild it's wild and wonderful stuff and we're gonna today uh, since we're up in Napa, I thought it'd be fun to take the the word and the idea of terroir in a different direction. And since peat, uh, which is what we dr dry and burn under our barley to give it the smokiness, mm -hmm. uh, is literally earth terroir. Um, I thought it'd be I fun. I never thought of it that way because smoke, <laughs> just yeah. intellectually, mm -hmm. makes you think of something, yep. you know, up in the air, yep. not we're something in the ground. We're digging the earth up. We're literally digging the earth up and flavoring our whiskey with earth. Huh. So you don't get much more terroir than that. No, <laughs> clearly not. And you now know. I'm, I'm not anti-peat, but I'm peat light. Mm -hmm. So now you're making me rethink my position because oh. um, that mind shift that this is really the origin yeah. of this is so authentic. I love the fact that the human mind is usually very flexible as well. So um, I can, f I can usually force myself. Uh, and I do this. I do this on a mental exercise regularly. If it's something I eat or, or drink that I don't like, I'll I'll often force myself to try and change my mind and say, "No, I do like it." And usually it works. You can really quickly. Yeah, I can. I can. I can trip. completely change <laughs> change my opinion on it. Um, if I really, really force myself, and go right. Well, what is it? Oh, come on. Huh. Um, so, I think Pete can be like that. Well, uh, as well. And one of the things that I've discovered is going to the island of Isla. If you spend a few days there. When you first get there, 
it's like the first glass of Iron Bag. It's like, wow, oh, that's smoky. After a few days on Isla, drinking smoky whiskies, you, you don't really taste the peat anymore. Context. Huh? You, just, you, you kind of tune that out and you get to taste everything else underneath. And there's lots of complexity under there. I always wonder, kids growing up on Isla, particularly living in the town of Port Allen, where the maltings is, and mm -hmm. there's, you know, there's peat smoke in the air every day from this malting. Mm -hmm. if, you've, if you've born on Isla and you've lived in Port Allen pretty much your entire life, the first time you go to the mainland Scotland and the air doesn't smell smoky and peaty, you must think, oh, wow, this smells weird. Because your frame of reference yeah. is that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It must be totally weird. What's that smell? <laughs> wow. What a powerful thought. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so same with whiskey. Um, after, after I've been lucky enough to spend whole weeks on Isla, come back off Isla to the mainland and take a glass of a, a, an unpeated malt. And it often is the shock. It's like, whoa, what's that? That's the shock. That is so interesting. You know? So Fun. available in the US market, I assume. Yes. Yeah, Artbeg and Glamorangi, both available um, across the US. Uh, we're pretty well distributed, um, obviously. Um, all good, all good liquor stores and um, most good bars and restaurants too. So yeah. no excuse not to go after it and shop your non-smoke, you non-peaty loving friends. Just, you should, just you should take it to the jump extreme. straight in and try an Ardbeg, absolutely. We have actually last year came out with an Ardbeg called Ardbeg Anno that is our attempt to not completely lose what Ardbeg is. It's still very smoky but to kind of uh, polish off the edges a bit mm -hmm. for this expression so it maybe is slightly more accessible to people that are maybe having a little bit of a hard time with or want or want to try and get into the smoky whiskey category so Ardbeg Anno would be a great option um, it's got some some sherry cask influence and uh, yeah we just try to polish the edges off it a bit what's your favorite dish to pair with whiskey <sighs> see there's so many different flavors of whiskey so that's that's so I tough it's a loaded um, question Cheese, cheese and, cheese and Scotch whiskey. Uh, you, you can you can pair so many different types of cheeses with so many different styles of whiskey that it's a no-brainer almost. Um, that works well. Oysters and hard bag. Mm -hmm. um, you'd think, well, it's such a delicate flavour up against all the smoke, but it, it's all kind of the same seaside experience. No, but I mean, I'm thinking cooked oysters like Rockefeller, right? I can work as well. I, I like, um, and I know it's not the sort of oyster you get on the west coast here, but big juicy plump creamy oysters oh my god and my a mouth bag on the top <laughs> just just amazing did you guys hear that it's always oysters <laughs> and champagne that is the total at the end of the spectrum uh -huh. and i'm loving it there you go. i am so going home to try <laughs> you can tell i'm in the practical application mode so second question yes to drip or not to drip the water the water gate <laughs> yes to, to add a dash of water and um, first first thing is do whatever you want when it's in your glass yes um, but yes if you if you want to try and really explore the complexity the full complexity of a single malt water is usually a good idea uh, the one exception I find sometimes it's just a word of caution is I think the older a whiskey gets certainly when it gets up to sort of 18 20 and beyond mm. they're actually quite fragile even though the flavor flavors can be really in your face uh, they're quite fragile beasts so um, be very careful I've I've ruined too many old samples, old whiskey samples by dropping too much water in and then there's not much way back unless you've got a lot of money to buy some more whiskey <laughs> to yeah. throw in there. But um, yeah, older whiskies are, are often fragile. You'll find me not adding much water, if any, to even cask strength old whiskies can fall apart quickly. That is um, 
such good advice. But water, yeah, water is a good idea. We certainly do it when we make the whiskey. When we're analysing samples, we're all, always adding water and nosing and nosing and nosing. That's how mm -hmm. we do it. Remember, unless it says cast strength on the bottle, all, whis all Scotch whisky has had water added uh, at bottling as well. So absolutely, you can add some water uh, and it should make it a bit more complex. Some fantastic advice, lots of practical tips, but also yeah. lots of history. I'm so thankful that you sat down with me today, David. Of course, yes, and um, I learned a lot, and I can't wait for your other wisdom in a form of a masterclass. <laughs> Thank you. It's a more, pleasure to more be to here. More to come. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks. Thanks again for tuning in to the official podcast of Palette Exposure, featuring Alona Thompson. We'll see you again next week.